Well, my name is Keith, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're just going to get right into it. We're going to start off with a king. That's a, a Larry King, that is. And uh, most of you know who this guy is. He's famous for doing over 50,000 uh, different interviews of powerful and popular people. Interesting uh, man, he grew up in a, in a Jewish family, but at some point he became an agnostic and then an atheist, and then toward the end of his life, he was Jewish again. And uh, so he's a, an interesting fellow. Well, in 2015, the New York Times did an article and in this article, they discussed how Larry King was obsessed with death. In fact, he was so obsessed with it that the first thing he did in the morning was get up, get the paper, and read the obituaries. And then he constantly was thinking, okay, who's going to do my eulogy? But I won't be able to be there to hear it. And, and then it just went on uh, where he was constantly thinking about death. And he took several different steps uh, to deal with that. The reason being, of course, he had a heart attack. He had quintuple bypass. He dealt with cancer, diabetes, and seven divorces in his life. So this man uh, was an interesting fellow. And he had, uh, he had this fight against death. So he took human growth hormone, four, four pills a day, just to try to fight against it. And he finally decided, I want to be frozen so that I can be brought back to life later on. And in this article, he actually said this, I know being frozen is nuts, but at least it gives me a shred of hope. Other people have no hope, is what he said. Larry King died this past January at the age of 87. And you know, just like Larry though, we all have to realize that someday we're going to die. Death is inevitable. It's something we all have to face. In fact, uh, for the uh, World Health Organization, there was this headline uh, that showed up, and it said this, the world death rate holds steady at 100%. You see, it never has and, and never will change unless Jesus returns first. So because of this inevitable, inevitable situation with death, we need to realize that uh, death is real. It's something we must face, and we're going to talk about it a little bit this morning, but I want to back up and do a little bit of history on death. Uh, remember, God created uh, Adam and Eve. They lived in this great place, the Garden of Eden, and the Lord God there was the creator who made them. They walked around the garden with God, and they enjoyed time with God. But then the devil showed up and seduced these first creation, or first people who were created to rebel against the Lord God. And that put them under the power of death and the consequence of their sin. Now, God created them to be able to rule over his creation, but instead, they became captives to the power of sin, Satan, and death. But the situation is, of course, God still loves them and all the other human beings who came after them. And he said, something needs to be done because that relationship that I had that was so close with them was broken because of their sin. Something has to be done because I love them. I want that relationship with them. And so that's why we're going to talk about what Jesus did this morning. What did Jesus do about death? That's the question we're going to answer today. And we're going to look at a scripture that tells us what God did in order to, uh, to help with that. Well, we're, uh, today we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2. If you want to grab a Bible and follow along there, we'll be in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18 will be our main text 
as we look and we see what did Jesus do about death. So if you would, please stand with me as we read this. And we'll read this passage together. So as we read it, just think about what is God saying here that he's doing. So let's read together. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. These are the words of God. Please be seated. So in order for God to restore the relationship that, that we as human beings had as we are created in his image, the eternal son of God, Jesus Christ, became a human. And as we see there in verses 14, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, talking about Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. So Jesus became a man. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, verse 16 said. And then verse 17 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every aspect. So Jesus left heaven, came to this earth as a child, and became a man, someone who was hungry, someone who was tired, someone who was vulnerable to temptation and suffering, just like the rest of us who are human beings here today. The difference being, Jesus was 100% man and 100% God at the same time. Verse 9, in our, just before our main text there in Hebrews chapter 2, talks about how Jesus tasted death for everyone. And then verse 10 says that he became the founder or the pioneer of our salvation. So what exactly did Jesus do about death? Let's see. The first thing that Jesus did was he diverted the wrath of God. Jesus diverted the wrath of God. Verse 17 says, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. We just talked about that. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now that's a big word that we don't hear very often, isn't it? Propitiation or propitiation. Now that word means that he satisfies the justice of God. Satisfies the justice of God. What he's really saying there is that Jesus drank the wrath that was poured out on him at the cross. And that he digested the wrath as he tasted the horror of being separated from God in our place. There are four truths about human beings that we need to look at this morning very quickly here. And they are, number one, we deserve to die as the penalty for our sin. Number two, we deserve to bear God's wrath against our sin. Number three, we are separated from God by this sin. And number four, we're in bondage to sin and the kingdom of Satan because of our sin. Those are the four truths about all of us as humans. Now, uh, there's even more truth we need to look at, and that is that God is love. John talks about that over and over, especially in his letter, in what we call First John. He talks about that. And there are a lot of preachers who just concentrate here, that God is love. 
But you know, there's that counterbalance to God being love in that God is wrath. Romans 1.18 talks about that as well as uh, this passage. Wrath is God's vengeance against sin. You see, here's the situation. Sin arouses God's wrath and it makes us his enemies. God hates sin. Sin is against God's character because by nature God is holy and pure, not sinful. God cannot tolerate, overlook, or ignore sin. It must be dealt with. That's the simple truth of God's word. Indeed, under the law, as we read in Hebrews chapter 9, almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. See, in the Old Testament, if, if, if you sinned, which everyone did then too, then you would put your hand on an animal that then was sacrificed and your sin was transferred to that animal that died and that animal's blood covered over your sin for a while. When Jesus came, he became the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. Christ's obedience through suffering on the cross, dying and rising again, pays the penalty for the guilt and the shame that we experience. And it diverts God's wrath from us to Jesus Christ. So we didn't have to pay the price of that wrath. So God reconciles us or restores our relationship and he redeems us through Jesus, buys us back so that once again we belong to God through his sacrificial death. So Jesus atones for us. God credits Christ's righteousness to us when we come to faith in Christ. And that's why Paul said this to the Corinthians. For our sake he made him to be sin, or a sin offering, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So judgment and condemnation is averted. On, in our case, if we trust in Christ, because Jesus himself diverted the wrath of Christ, or the wrath of God. He diverted the wrath of God. Billy Graham said this, I have a certainty about eternity that is a wonderful thing. And I thank God for giving me that certainty. I do not fear death. I may fear a little bit about the process, but not death itself. Because I think the moment my spirit leaves the body, I will be in the presence of the Lord. Now, most of us would agree that Billy Graham was a pretty good guy. He did a lot of good things. But you know what? Being good wasn't good enough. Billy Graham only has that certainty because he trusted in Jesus Christ to divert the wrath of God from himself, and it was put on Jesus Christ at the cross. So what does this all mean for us? Do we really see the lengths that the creator God went to to redeem us and to restore us back to a right relationship with him? Here we have the creator and sustainer and lover of our souls who went this far to allow his son to die in our place so that his wrath would be taken care of by his son. We need to thank him and be grateful for God's love and his grace. I want to encourage all of us as we think about Jesus' wrath being diverted that we lean in toward God and we trust in the one who paid that penalty. We trust in Jesus. So first of all, Jesus diverted God's wrath according to this passage that we're in here in Hebrews. And then back in our main text, not only did Jesus divert God's wrath, but he also defeated the devil. 
Verse 14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same thing, so Jesus became flesh and had blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. That is the devil. Interesting, the word there for destroy actually means to neutralize or render useless or deprive of influence. Deprive of influence. He doesn't use the word actually that we would think that he would use for power here. The word he uses means strength or might, but it's not the word from which we get the term dynamite. It's not that blow it up kind of power that he's using here to, to ultimately destroy the devil. It's basically saying we're rendering his power useless. He still has power. He still has designated limited power from God. And the word here for devil actually is diabolos. It means devil, the false accuser, the divider, and the slanderer. We need to realize that the devil is real. Satan is real. He is a fallen angel, a wayward creature of God's making, who is still subject to the sovereign power of the Lord God. That's who he is. He was kicked out of heaven because he wanted to be like God. He was created good and pure and perfect and chose to sin, and then God cast him and all the angels who followed after him out of heaven. Now, it's interesting because a lot of times we see this battle and, and movies and other things that we see picture this battle. You have Satan here, and he has great power, and you have God here, and the battle's going back and forth, and who has the most power? Well, that's not realistic. Satan does not have the same kind of power that God has. God is the ultimate authority, the ultimate power, and is victorious. And starting with Jesus' death, he has destroyed or defeated the devil because God has that power, and we can be confident in that. By the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the devil's power has been broken. Interesting, when you look through Scripture, the devil was called several different things. He's the ruler of this world because he has authority over the world system. Anybody here ever notice there's some corruption in this world? Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, that's because Satan is kind of running those things. The people who are not in control of God are run by Satan. So he's called the ruler of this world, the liar and a father of lies. He is the prince of the power of the air and the, the destroyer, a murderer, a tempter. He is the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience, according to Scripture. That's who Satan is. That's who the devil is. So that leads us to this question. Why doesn't God just drop a nuclear bomb on Satan's head and get rid of him for, for once and for all? Why doesn't he just do that now? Well, there's a, a good reason for that. God chooses to love us. God chooses to love us. And if God, and God also wants us to love him. And if, if God just all of a sudden totally obliterated Satan and, and the other side of the equation was gone, how would God know whether we really love him or not? You see, we make a choice daily. We're going to love God or are we going to love Satan? And that, those really are the only two choices that we have. So God wants us, God permits Satan to be in charge of the world for a while longer because God wants to know whether we really love him or whether we don't, whether we love Satan. Peter wrote these words, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. 
the interesting thing is the death, burial, and resurrection has really, it's, it's hurt Satan so that when this prowling lion is, is, is prowling around, he has a significant limp now because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It doesn't have the same impact before he had when, when Jesus died on the cross for us. Interesting too, the devil and the angels and the demons all are defeated and they know it. They realize this, but they hate God. They're opposed to him, to his purposes, and to his people. And they want to do everything they can because their deepest desire is to entrap and ensnare people for eternity and to harm as many people as they can who are made in the image of God. That's how much they hate God. That's what they're doing, and they're not going to give up. Even though they know that Jesus has won the ultimate victory, they're not giving up. It's kind of like if you've ever played chess. Now, the object of chess is to capture the king, the big black piece that's standing there in the picture. And that, the object is to capture that person's king. Well, now, uh, if you want to picture this in a spiritual realm, look at this chess game between God and Satan. You see, uh, you know, that... The queen is the next powerful person. What God has done is he's captured Satan's queen and all the other powerful pieces and all he leaves on the border are a bunch of pawns. A bunch of pawns. But the interesting thing is Satan and the evil forces still want to lead people to sin and away from God. But there is hope, right? There is hope. Because in Revelation chapter 20, we see the ultimate demise of the devil. Uh, it reads like this, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever in this lake of fire. The devil, Satan, Lucifer, the angels, demons, and the followers of them will be completely defeated in this lake of fire forever and ever. And this all started at the cross when Jesus defeated the devil. John Piper says it this way, God used Satan to defeat Satan. See, had Satan really known God's plan, he wouldn't have allowed Jesus to die. He wouldn't have seen that as a, as a, as a big victory. He would have understood it. Ultimately, it was his defeat. So what does that mean for us? We need to acknowledge the unseen realm is real. Satan is real, sin is real, and hell is a real place that originally was prepared for the devil and his angels. We need to acknowledge that. But don't focus on that. Don't stress out over that. Instead, concentrate on the fact that God, through Jesus Christ, is victorious over sin and Satan and hell. Paul wrote to the Ephesians said this, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, against cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. That's where the real battle is. Not our neighbor who might be a bother to us next door. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all that you can to stand firm. 
I have a friend who, who talks about, uh, he, he thinks about this passage, and I want to encourage you, finish reading Ephesians 6, where it talks the whole armor of God. He basically says, you know, when I get out of the shower, I picture myself putting on the armor of God. I put on the helmet of salvation. I take up the shield of faith. I wear the breastplate of righteousness and the rest of the armor that God provides for us. So that, he says, so that, that way I'm prepared for battle that day against these spiritual forces of evil. John says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So Jesus diverted the wrath of God. Jesus defeated the devil. And thirdly, Jesus delivered us from the fear of death. Jesus delivered us from the fear of death. Verse 15 says, and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Lifelong slavery. The word for delivered there means to release from the grip of, to change, to set free, to transfer from one state to another. And he releases us from this phobia, this fear, which is a terror that ensnares us so that we are not fully and freely enjoying everyday life. Charles Spurgeon, I love what, the way he said it. He said, there is no true deliverance from the fear of death except by looking to him whose death is the death of death. Look to him whose death is the death of death. And that, of course, is Jesus Christ. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection frees us from the shame and the guilt that we all experience through, through sin. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, Paul says. This mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But, I always like when they put those buts in there. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if you want to picture this as a spiritual illustration, then the sting before the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was like a hornet sting. The sting of death would cause you to swell up and hurt for several days. I experienced that with three of those things last fall. Not pleasant. But instead, the sting of death because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is more like a sweat bee sting. It's a little uncomfortable, may itch for a few minutes, but it quickly fades away. That's what death is like because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection now. We as Christians need not fear death. Now, there are a lot of things that we, we are, are afraid of. Sometimes those are healthy fears. That's why we wear a seat belt, right? Because... You know, we, we, if we're in an accident, we want to be a little bit safer in that case. That's why the guys racing today are wearing special kinds of harnesses and, and they do things to their cars. Healthy fear is a good thing. But we also uh, realize that we need to avoid dangerous situations. I mean, how many of you would volunteer if we're going to take a field trip to downtown Chicago tonight and at 2 o'clock in the morning we're going to drop you off on the south side of Chicago by yourself and let you find your way a couple miles back to this place where we're going to meet up? That wouldn't be a very smart way to live, would it? That would be a dangerous situation. We don't do those kind of things. 
So here's a question. How does fear affect our lives? How does fear affect your life? The pandemic has shown some of us the way we may uh, react. We need to be cautious that we don't hide away ourselves and, and be so afraid of any kind of risk that we don't live in the freedom and the fullness that Christ provides us. I love what uh, the psalmist said in Psalm 139. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. So what he's saying there is God knows the number of my days. God knows my first day and he knows my last day. God knows the number of days I'm going to live. So we may ask ourselves, what about these bad people who do bad things to people? Well, think about the life of Paul. Look at all he experienced. God preserved his life until it was time for his life to be over, according to God. Jesus said these words, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. You see, once they kill the body, they can't take our soul, can they? That's secure with Christ. But he said, I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So what he's saying is we need to have a healthy respect and fear of the Lord God who ultimately determines our destination based upon his call in our life and our response to that call. Charles Spurgeon, Spurgeon once again said this, when time has come for you to die, you do not need to be afraid because death cannot separate you from God's love. Isn't that great to know? Even death does not separate me from God's love. Nothing can, according to Romans chapter 8 there. Nothing can separate me. Well, what about persecution? What about persecution? Does it still happen? Certainly it does. On February 7th in 2017, in the country of Central African Republic, Pastor John Paul Senkagwe was one of six pastors who was killed as he worked with the Muslim people that he loved and wanted to convert to Christ. Now don't let that worry you guys too much, okay? Different place, different time. But you know, martyrdom still happens all around the world. It still happens. But those people are trusting in God. They know that Jesus has delivered them from this fear of death that some people just don't grasp and don't understand because they don't know Jesus. Don't let the fear of death destroy your joy. Remember that song that, that used to be sung by kids uh, a long time ago? And it was, I've got the joy, 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 where? Down in my heart. And notice, and that it goes on to say, and it's down in my heart to stay. Because Jesus puts it there. We have victory through Jesus. So then, why as Christians sometimes do we even fear death? Why are we afraid of death? Well, there are a few different reasons. Let's look at just a few of them for a minute. First of all, there's a lack of knowledge. Maybe we don't know or maybe we've forgotten the three things that we've seen here this morning that Jesus diverts God's wrath, that he de delivers us or that he uh, defeated the devil and then he delivers us from this fear. Maybe we've just forgotten that or didn't realize that. Another reason why we fear death is because our sinfulness confronts us. It slaps us in the face. 
it constantly reminds us the depths of the sin in our own hearts. And some of us choose to ignore that or to just live our own way anyway. Sometimes we fear death because we're caught up in the here and now. We're, we're, we're caught up in the world. Now remember who controls the world. And we get so caught up in that. We get so busy doing things. Let me ask another question. 60 years from now, will what we spend all of our time and money on now really make an eternal difference? Will it really? Jesus gave his all for us. So surely we can give some time and some talent and some treasure back to him to show him our appreciation. And it's interesting because we get caught up in here and now, but we need to be like a good guest. Anytime a good guest comes to our house, I know that they've prepared themselves, okay? You know, they, they don't come up and say, hey, you know what, we didn't bring our toothbrushes and our deodorant and all these other things that are important, you know? I, I mean, they're prepared, they bring things. We need to be prepared to be a guest in heaven someday, where we'll start out as a guest, but then we'll, it'll be our home. It'll be our home, because we're there with family, with God the Father, and with Jesus Christ. Sometimes we're afraid of death because of control issues. Control issues, we're worried about, well, how am I going to die? You know, a lot of people say, I just want to die, go in my sleep. That would be a nice, peaceful way to die. But what about if there's a tragic accident? Or, or what if I get this illness that I gradually just, you know, fall apart? Use that illness. There have been people who, doctors even, who have come to know Christ because Christian people exhibit their faith during even those tough times of preparing for death. None of us knows how we're going to die, but we can trust that God will care for us during that period. Another question we have is, who's going to care for my loved ones? Who will take care of them if I'm gone? God will. God will. He does. And let me, let me just uh, give a little practical uh, aspect here to, to, for some of us who have control issues. Every person here needs to have a will or a trust. A will or a trust. So that your wishes take place when you die, whether you have $10 or $10 million. Instead of that going in a large portion to the government, give it to the people that you love. Leave it to the Lord to do some great things with. But I want to encourage you, make life easier on your family. Have a will or a trust. And that's a way that you're preparing by realizing that we're all going to be passing from this earth unless Jesus comes back. And then finally, the, the last reason why we fear death sometimes is because death is the unknown, right? We, we aren't giving every, given every little detail about death in God's word. We're told some of the basics, but we're not given every little detail. David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because why? You are with me. God is with us. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Death is really a new beginning. And think about this. Jesus said, if I go away, I will go to prepare a place for you. It's been over 2,000 years since Jesus left this earth and went back to the Father to prepare a place for us. If you have 2,000 years to prepare a place, it's going to be pretty nice, isn't it? Think about that. 
He's preparing a place for us so that we can be there with him. John said it this way, there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. You see, if Christ has taken the wrath that I should have experienced and he's diverted it, and if he has also defeated the devil, and if he's also delivered me from the fear of death, I don't need to fear death anymore. Because that punishment was taken by Jesus on the cross and he was victorious over death when he resurrected. God loves us perfectly and he wants us through the help of the Holy Spirit to love him rather than fear death. We have been delivered by Christ from the devil's tyranny and we need to love the one who accomplished all that. So as we close out this morning, what did Jesus do about death? He diverted God's wrath He defeated the devil, and he delivered us from that nasty fear of death that we face. Psalm 116, 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. The death of his saints. Isn't it interesting that whenever angels show up a lot of times here on earth, what are some of the first words out of their mouth? Fear not, or don't be afraid. Even they instruct us to trust in God. James Augie said this, death to the Christian is the funeral of all his sorrows and evils and the resurrection of his joys. The resurrection of his joys. Because Jesus suffered and faced temptation and he never gave in to that temptation, never ever sinned, then he helps us so we can trust him. He is our mediator, the one who stands before God on our behalf, pleading our case, saying, I love them, I, I gave myself for them, and I am I'm appealing to you on their behalf. They belong to us. They're part of our family. Yesterday I was driving down the road and I saw this car on the back. It said, my last day, 2021. And I thought, wow, there's somebody who knows the day they're dying. And then I drove up beside it and I saw these names and said, congratulations. I was like, oh, wait a minute. That was just a graduate. A graduate. But you know, Spiritually speaking, we graduate from this life into eternity. We graduate from this life into eternity. And that is cause for celebration. So as Christians, we need to make it so that we love God so much that we have relinquished ourselves to him. We trust in Christ so much that when we pass from this life to the next all the people around us can do is celebrate that we're now in eternity with Christ. Yes, they may miss us, but they still celebrate our eternal destination. Let's be honest, though. There may be some folks here who aren't yet Christ followers. You haven't yet yielded to Jesus Christ. He's not your Lord and Savior yet. I I want to speak very plainly to you for just a moment, okay? You have a choice this morning. Hopefully God has been working through his word and through the Holy Spirit moving and you have a choice here this morning. The choice is this. Either you can let the blood of Jesus Christ divert the wrath of God from you so that when you stand before God, he says, come on in, good and faithful servant. That's one choice. Or the other choice is that you pay with your own blood And you will experience the full force of God's wrath when you stand before him face to face.
It's one of those two choices. I want to encourage you to take the first one. Take Jesus. That's why he came to save us. Salvation is spiritual rescue from our sins and from Satan. Jesus offers that to us. What, what do you need to do to be saved? You need to, to, to respond to God's call on your mind and your heart and say, okay, I recognize I'm a sinner. I have done wrong in God's eyes. And, and I feel badly that I, I've been so selfish. And so I want to repent. I want to turn my life around. Instead of going my direction, I'm going to go God's direction and follow Jesus Christ. And I want him to be my savior. Paul said, if you believe in your heart and you confess Christ and you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, you will be saved. And so I want to encourage you, surrender your life and your heart to Jesus today. Right now, in this place. Give everything over to him. Trust completely in Jesus, in his death, burial, and resurrection because you believe it's a truth that you can base your whole life and eternity on. Do that this morning. Then I also want to encourage you, that first next step to take after putting your faith in Christ is what Paul talked about being united with him in his death, burial, and resurrection in baptism and showing your faith in Jesus Christ. A few chapters later from our main text, uh, the writer of Hebrews said, just as you've it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once for all, will bear the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. We can eagerly wait, wait for him to come and approach us because Jesus diverted God's wrath. Jesus defeated the devil. And Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, delivered us from that lifelong slavery of the fear of death. Believe and trust in the maker of your soul. Let me close with Martin Luther's quote. Live as, Jesus, live as if Jesus died yesterday. He rose this morning, and tomorrow he's coming back. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the hope that we have through Jesus Christ. You give us grace and mercy when we don't deserve that. You offer so much to us. You care about us uh, more deeply than we even care about ourselves. Thank you so much that Jesus did all that he did in concerning death. Father, we love you. We praise you. We exalt you this morning. May the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ truly make a difference in our lives as we yield to you and trust in you and live our faith daily in hopes of being with you for eternity. Thank you so much for Jesus Christ. In his name we praise you and we thank you.